Hi, Chris. How are you? Good afternoon, Rod. Yes, all is well. And I'm not in the shed today, but I'll save that for the main show. Okay, well, that'll give us something to talk about. I think I can hear a slight difference in where you are, but hopefully it'll be okay for the listeners by the time it gets processed through all of the things. Yeah, apologies if I don't sound like I normally do in my wooden shed down the bottom of the garden with the rain beating down on it. Well, it makes for an interesting experiment, and it means we can keep bringing the podcast at various times of the year, which I think is important research, actually. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's, yeah, scheduling this week has just been a nightmare, so apologies on my side. And what could go wrong? Anyway, good stuff. We can we can crack on, I think. Straight into follow-up, and I have an apology. I, didn't think I, I don't think I promised I was going to do it, but I said I might do it, and that was a link in last week's show notes about the YouTuber at Mr. Who's the Boss, who discovered the Samsung's Explodey, that may be the wrong word, Swelly, batteries might be the right way of putting it, which he had as a massive collection of, and I said I put the, the link in the show notes. I didn't. It's in this week's show notes. I think it's worth watching the video to see how compelling the problem actually is when he goes through the phones and what's going on with it and yeah just an interesting thing that's worth watching neither of those swelly or explodey though are words you want to hear with batteries though are they i would say absolutely not and given samsung do you remember back in the day with i think it was the one of the first notes where there was actually a travel warning on not bringing notes phones onto airlines because they would explode and go on fire. And in fact, there's a whole raft of flight stuff now that if you drop your phone in between the seats, don't try and get it. You know, the cabin crew will come and try and help you and things. So uh, Samsung have got form here. They do have form. But in fairness, that, that event when it, they had exploding, exploding batteries and fires on planes, I think Samsung recovered really well from it because that, that could have been a major death knell for them. But actually, either they recovered really well from it or... The other Android competitors didn't capitalize on the situation. I, I think we don't give Samsung enough props in some ways because they are probably the biggest competitor to Apple in, in this space. And you could say that they copied them really heavily back in the day. You know, then again, you could say Apple copied Samsung to some extent, uh, you know, as things have passed too. But they really do innovate in the space and the hardware with the exception of these batteries, it seems, is really interesting. We've spoken about the folding phones, the flip phones, the various things that they do here. Their camera technology is amazing when you see, you know, what they do there. I think the devices you said last week, you know, all phones look the same. They're big, slippy things, bars of soap, effectively, of glass and metal. Samsung's look nice. I think the camera placement is good. Uh, you know, the, the batteries are good on them. They sort of innovate in terms of the stylus and things that they've had uh, going. So uh, good company. Just a bit of unfortunate about the battery here. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And we used to have a bunch of the, oh, I'm going to say the S7 Edge where they did a weird thing where the screen bent around the sides of the phone. I think they got an A for trying, but I think in reality it wasn't a fantastic feature. But no, I, I think they do innovate. I think they do make good-looking hardware. I think Apple has helped everybody to raise the hardware game of having, you know, high-quality, good industrial design. You know, before Apple came into the phone market, it was very plasticky. Nokia did a reasonable job, but I think they've they've changed people's view on hardware for the better across the board, you know. The hardware generally that comes out now is at such a high standard. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Apple's build quality in most of the devices is pretty good. We'll gloss over the butterfly keyboard and some of the issues they're having with large HomePods at, at this point. But in the main, the phones particularly, with the exception of the iPhone 3GS, was that the one they had trouble getting the white plastic on the backs of those back in the day? Mm, I think it was the 3GS. I thought it was the 4 when they or the 4S when they announced it and it took them like nine months to get it out the door okay. and it was in time for the next phone. It might, it might have been, but I seem to remember them promising when they went from the three, well, the original iPhone to the 3GS, 
that there was a black plastic one that came along and there was going to be a white plastic one back and it took him ages to come out and that wasn't really the problem it was just you know the plastic norris and there has been things like antenna gate and bend gate and all these other gates as we keep saying but in general i'd say Apple's hardware quality is viewed at a slightly higher level than a lot of the other manufacturers. But Samsung are definitely up there. Yeah, definitely, I think. And most of these gates you and I have lived through, I'm not sure how much of a gate they've been. Bend gate was never an issue for me. The antenna gate, there was a lot of noise around it. I got my free bumper, but it was never a biggie for me, I think, if I'm honest. I'd forgotten about the free bumper. That was quite nice. It was almost, I remember Steve coming out onto the stage and going, yeah, we'll give you a free bumper then. Here's three or four to choose from. Do it. Yep. And then John Gruber asked them, do you guys wear cases on your phones or bumpers? And they all went, no, don't need to. So that was when they used to do Q&A. Yeah, I do remember that. And that it does speak to a little bit of Apple's arrogance sometimes, the whole you're holding it wrong thing, you know, just because for those that may not remember at the time when the iPhone 4 came along, there was a seam in the antennas and they actually used the edge of the phone, the border of the phone as the antenna. And there was one point on the phone that if you bridged it with your thumb or, or your finger as you were holding the device, it could potentially affect cellular reception. So this was why the, the antenna gate thing came along, is that if you put a case on it, obviously you couldn't put your thumb and bridge that connection. And it wasn't an issue. So Apple's first response was, you're holding it wrong. You shouldn't have your thumb over the, that point in the antenna. But then they did grudgingly hand out cases and bumpers. But aren't we still using the same relative antenna design now in our iPads, in our iPhones, because they moved to that design for the iPhone 4 where you, you've got lines in the outside of the case and we've still got it today. So it was obviously the right thing to do and I think it just got blown out of all proportions. Well, I think they fill it in with glue or some sort of composite now, don't they? So you can't actually bridge it with your thumb. If you look at the edge of the device and where the antennas are, the, A, the, the, back to what we started talking about here, the fit and finish is so much better than it used to be. But actually, you know, you can't bridge those physically with your, with your finger or whatever because of the way they build the device and they laminate it. So, yeah, interesting. Maybe just pick up my phone to have a look at the antenna lines again. Fair enough. Good. That went a lot longer than I thought to talk about Samsung's exploding batteries. But yeah, shame Samsung. Hopefully they'll, they'll figure it out. Or maybe it happens to all phones. It's just more noticeable on Samsung devices for some way, you know, some uh, shape, reason or form. Anyway, that was that. While we're on the subject of batteries, I thought I'd report back on my AirPods Pro 2, which I'm still very happy with. The sound quality of them is excellent. They, they perform very well. There has been a small story in the news this week about audio drift from people who are watching films and things with their AirPods that it's becoming out of sync with a video. I haven't experienced that, but then I haven't watched much video with them. I tend to listen to podcasts or, or music while I'm out walking around. So I haven't experienced that issue, but I have noticed again that the battery goes down really, really quickly. Whereas before I'd get two or three weeks out of a case, I'm having to charge the case every week now, which may be more normal for most, most people. I don't know. I use my AirPods quite a lot, I think, going to and from work or walking the dog or whatever. It is going down quite quickly. I haven't seen this anywhere else in the news, so maybe this is just mine and maybe this is expected behavior. I don't know. Yeah, so a couple of things there. One, I have seen audio drift on my current AirPods Pro, which is the first gen. Two, I had it the other day when I put I had one AirPod in, I was listening to some music, put in the second AirPod, and there's a slight difference between the two. They had they weren't in sync in my ears, and that's really weird because you've got like your left ear slightly behind your right ear, but not crazy behind, but just ever so slightly. And for a minute, you're doubting yourself, if you know what I mean. And I find usually if anything's out of sync, just pause count to five or something and then play again and that usually corrects itself but it sounds like your airpods pro battery is the same as my phone and it just doesn't seem to be as good as what it could be it's very disappointing i've certainly noticed it on my new iphone 
Yeah, it is interesting. And anecdotally, speaking to other people who have got older models of iPhone, iPhone X, XRs, things like that, they're saying the same sort of thing. Since they've upgraded to iOS 16, the battery performance hasn't been what it was previously. So there's something going on here. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, something is going on. It does seem better with the latest beta, as I think I said the other week, but I'm noticing a lot, a lot of battery drop. And, I'm, and I think, well, what have I really used my phone for? Not a lot. So it is disappointing. Hopefully it'll get better over time. Hopefully. We've talked about it before and it has got better before, so we shall see. Okay, did you know you can save timers on your Apple Watch? I did not know. You've put this in the show notes. What's this one? So, I'm not running the beta on my Apple Watch, but I've got the Apple Watch Ultra. And I went into the timer app. Now, I often set a timer for when I park the car, just so it beeps on my wrist, or if I take paracetamol, that, you know, my four-hour timer, so I know when I can take my next load of paracetamol. And I went into the timers app and it said, did you know you can favorite a timer? So if you say set a custom timer, say to be, I don't know, two hours and 15 minutes, you can swipe to the right and then tap a little star to favorite it. And then it will remember it as one of your favorite timers. I just thought it was quite nice that there's a bit of functionality there. And they had like a little tool tip pop up, with a little cross that you could dismiss. I guess what they're trying to do is work out ways of surfacing, act, you know, actions that you can do that are hidden behind something because you have to swipe to the right and there's no indication that it's swipeable, if that makes sense. So I, I thought it was interesting. I hadn't seen a tooltip like that before, but I thought it was really effective. I've read it once, and I've dismissed the the tooltip, and now I know I can save timers I use all the time. So just thought it was a tip, and I thought I'd share it with the world. Yeah, that's quite a good tip. I, I wasn't aware of that. It, it seems to me that it's kind of thing that could exist in other places in the operating system. For example, when you set an alarm on your phone, it remembers every alarm you've ever set ever, it seems to me. So, you know, if you often get up at six in the morning and you say, hey, dingus, wake me at six, and it sets that for you. When you go back into the alarms again, then you've got a six and a 6.15 and a 6.25, and, you know, and you think, yeah, you might be taking that a little bit far, really. I can understand why that would be useful. It makes more sense to me on the watch for the scenarios that you've described, I think. But... Most people don't need it to remember, you know, I'm going to have a 15 minute nap in the afternoon and it saves that alarm for you forevermore. It's, it's, it's quite an odd design choice to me. Yeah, but I guess they don't want to delete anything, do they? So it's a tricky one. But this was just in the timers app. So if you set like a four hour time, like I say, but one, if they're trying to work out how they bring more functionality to things like the watch and how they can tell you about it when you when when it is new in this scenario. So I wonder whether it's been there throughout the whole beta period when I did run the beta and I've only just found out about it very recently so, so there you go just thought i'd add that in fair enough no it's a good tip what next we've got playgrounds 5.2 beta that's one of yours as well yeah so i think i raised it before i was a bit miffed at wwdc they made no noise about a new playgrounds beat for the ipad where you can develop some apps on the ipad when they brought a new version of the swift programming language at wwdc they announced new xco tools they didn't announce a new version of playgrounds even in beta format i just got an email this morning saying there's a new version to work on the iPad 16.1 and with Swift 5.7, which was the latest version of the language. And I'm just a little frustrated that they've only just done an incremental update. It's been a year since we got Swift Playgrounds. I was expecting a brand new version, even more functionality. Why can't I start doing watch apps on my iPad? It's just moving a lot slower than I thought they would move at if they're going to try and move forwards. And I kind of expect it to be revealed at the October event rather you know, it's more of a fanfare as they are doing this windowing system on the iPad. I thought there would be, you know, it would be a bigger announcement than just a, we've got a beta, we've just updated it marginally. I wonder if it sort of runs into their 
who's using an iPad for development type thing, though, because I suspect a little bit of history on this is this last version, the last major version of, of Swift Playgrounds, you could actually deploy apps to the App Store from the iPad. And you're right. You think having made that big step to be able to do that, and they made a big fanfare of the first person that did, that they'd support it a bit more, they'd continually evolve it, they'd bring new features, they'd keep up to date with language, keep up to date with devices, et cetera, et cetera. This does feel very lackluster to me. That, And I wonder if it's just nobody's developing an iPad, you know, phone apps or whatever on the iPad because they've got Macs as well and that's what they're doing. But it it cheapens the iPad as a platform to me slightly if they're not going to commit to something like this. I mean, they're not Google. They don't tend to drop things every five minutes as we've talked about repeatedly here. But yeah, I, I agree with you. It's a bit, it's not good enough again. I'd agree. And there's things you can't do on the iPad, like I've used some of the CloudKit stuff and it's, well, when's that going to come? And just feels like they've put all the infrastructure in place. They've done the hard lifting of getting to version 1.0 kind of thing. Why can't we see it iterate, especially it's been a year since the version, the first version came out. We had a minor incremental update in the middle, and now we've got another minor in- incremental update. And it's coming alongside a massive windowing version of iPadOS. I was hoping, I think, for a bit more. I think I, I can't understand why they're being so slow to do anything pro on the iPad Pro. Well, they're being slow with everything, though. I mean, we've talked before about how it- the terrible development story that is is stage manager and the settings app on the Mac and, and, and there's lots of other things we could point at where they, they do seem artificially slow in some areas to do it. I was listening to ATP this week and I thought John Syracuse had an interesting point about companies' purposes and how they're not good at cross-purposing. So Google is an advertising company, therefore they're not great at products, which is why they keep dropping things. And Apple's a product company, and that's why they're not great at advertising. And I think that still is beginning to hold true for the product. We just talked about how good the hardware is in Apple stuff, generally. The software's suffering, definitely. I think the actual bits of metal and glass that they make are generally a lot better than the software that runs on it, to a greater extent than used to be the case. It seems to me they used to take a lot more care on the software side of it than they have done recently. And I wonder if that's just being reflected now in the way they're releasing OSs and the way they're developing applications and the fact that things like, you know, the iWork suite haven't been updated or they drop things like Aperture. It was Aperture, wasn't it? You know, all that kind of stuff. They're not getting the same depth of attention and determination that they used to have yeah i'd agree with that and but actually i work though with ipad os 16 has already got support for customizable toolbars and kind of just worked straight away so it's a bit of an odd one but it i work they are very much and by the way i work is pages keynote and numbers but they are glacially moving it forwards but it does generally every six months or so get some new features and i, I do like they're chipping away at it because i do like the iWork apps if i didn't work in a corporate environment i would probably use them a lot more but because i work in a corporate environment i need to use powerpoint xl and word I, i'm we're very heavily invested in the microsoft suite as i think most enterprises academic institutions are or, or google or whatever it would be and i work really can't live in that environment particularly it's all right but it's not good enough when you sort of really start chipping away at the details you know the collaborative tools for example when you're commenting on documents and all the rest of which i don't know how much you do in your workplace but we do a huge amount in the university you know documents get circulated people comment on them all all that kind of stuff it it took me don't be wrong i don't think microsoft do it particularly well either if you've got long comment threads going or mark you know the various markup that happens within documents to get them to some sort of point of release it's not very good it's not very straightforward google do a far better job of that in some senses but 
iWork's good enough, I think, for a small business. I don't think it's good enough for large enterprises and things like that. Anyway, moving on. We've spent a long time on follow-up. I've got a little bit of follow-up at Apple Software. I'm running the Xcode betas at the moment, the most up-to-date version of that, and the Xcode current release candidate, not release candidate, version that's available in the App Store. I can't update to the latest one that just sits there refusing to update. I've got plenty of disk space. I haven't Googled for it with any great anger because I've got the beta available to me as well, but I just think it's really annoying that it will download, it'll download whatever it is, seven gigs, and fail with you know 0.1 of a gig to go and just say sorry I can't do this and give me no reasons why not that's not good enough and then I'm aware as we've been talking that we went away to review camera apps last week and we haven't got any space for that in our in our notes so I was just going to give a one-line review of the Halide app that I tried to use and I think it says it all there it's too complicated I didn't understand it I got lost in the menus it didn't to my eyes take pictures that were anything noticeably better than I was doing in the camera app anyway so I stopped using it yeah, I'm not surprised. I've found Halide quite complicated. I have persevered a bit with Obscura. I've just got to train my muscle memory to keep doing it. I do think Obscura is really good for doing black and white photography. It's got about five or six black and white filters, but I only know what half of the functions do. And I think I've got to train myself to get a bit more into it. And I think there's also a bit of training for anybody because usually you just pick up your phone, you quickly snap something, you barely stop, you take the picture, you move on. And I think we've just got to get into that into that mode of, no, I'm actually going to take it. I'm going to position it. I'm going to tweak some dials. So I'm going to try and persevere with Obscure. I do like the app. What I find weird though, is when you take a black and white photo and then it go, you know, like, like in the camera app, it goes down into the corner and you can tap it to go to the library. You take a black and white one. It shows you the little, the little thumbnail of what you've just taken in color, which I find really weird. It's, it's mm. like it is unfiltered, but it's a good app and I've got some good results from it, but also I've got to undo that muscle memory of getting into the camera by bottom left of the lock screen. You know, you've got the shortcut there. You can't swap that out. I would imagine at some point Apple's going to be forced to allow you to pick your camera up. But until that happens, you can just have a widget on the home screen, which is a shortcut. Yeah, it's fair enough. I've just, I've sent you in the chat while I've been talking the last picture I took with, with Halide. And the one thing it does do really well is bokeh. Like, I don't ever, I'm so, never know if I'm saying that right, which is blur. So this was a snail that was on my garden gate today. And you can, if you look at the focus on the snail and then you look at the cars behind it, what a decent job it's done at being able to do that. So that kind of thing is good. And I think you've probably hit the nail on the head. If you've got a little bit more time to spend on a photograph and you've got, you can, you can compose it properly and you've got just a shot to mind and you can spend the time to fiddle as opposed to, oh, I've got a couple of seconds to take this picture and move on. I think the camera app is good enough for that. And if I, if I did want to really take advantage of the photography of the phone, then something like this, obviously it's cleverer than I am, but yeah, I, I think in my normal day-to-day -day use of cameras, it's not what I want, but I may try Obscura and see if that suits me a little bit better. But I just thought it was quite a good quality picture, considering my phone's not as good as yours camera-wise, that even with that, it was able to take something decent. Obscura is probably just as complicated. Like I say, I'm, I just love using it just to pick the filters at the moment, but I need to persevere, I think, and go to the next level. Good. Okay. Any other follow-up, Chris? No, not for me. Shall we move on? Let's move on. Let's do the news. So first story is one of mine. I'm always interested in virtualization. I've talked about in this show, I run a, a virtualization server. I run a Proxmox server somewhere in the house so I can spin up Linux instances and have various servers like my Plex server running in the background and things like that. Occasionally, it's handy to run on-device virtualization. So if you want to run another instance of macOS on your Mac or run one of the Arch 
distributions of Linux. If you want something like that to handy to have, it's handy to have something like that running around. On my Mac, I've been running UTM up till now, which makes use of Apple's internal virtualization optimizations is the correct word to say, as well as a, a little bit of stuff from QEMU, which is a well sorry KVM, which is a well known Linux emulator virtualization layer, I should say. VirtualBox has just come out. It's one of the bigger ones on the market. It's available for all platforms, Linux and Mac and Windows. And with version seven, which has just come along, there's a version of this for Apple Silicon. So you're able to virtualize with this as well. It's another entry in the market. It's mostly open source. It's supported by Oracle. There is sort of a pay layer for a couple of extra bits that you can have with it. It looks reasonably feature complete from what they're saying, except the networking's not entirely up and running yet for VirtualBox 7 beta on the Mac, which is a bit of a shame, but then the networking stuff is always quite difficult. But if you ever take a notion and you want something that you can just spin up and try a virtual machine, like the new version of Windows that's suitable for ARM chips, runs really well on a Mac, by the way, then something like this is worth considering. Because if you build a virtual machine in VirtualBox and you have VirtualBox for your enterprise or other things within the company, you can just export it and it will run in another VirtualBox somewhere else. So it's, it's, you know, it's a well done app. It's good to see Oracle continue to support it all these years down the road. And it's good to see that actually Apple Silicon stuff is being supported however long it is since we've had Apple Silicon Macs. But yeah, there it is. Questions. When did Oracle buy VirtualBox? Oh God, seven, eight years ago, at least more, possibly longer. Wow. Okay. So I used to use VirtualBox, ooh, a previous job, 14 years ago, say, maybe less. Loved it. It was great. Amazingly free app, worked really well. It's great to see it still being updated. At what point, though, should we be worried that Oracle are buying up everything? Because they own things like MySQL, they own Sun. They seem to just pick up like all the stuff on the periphery, if that makes sense. It's quite I'm curious to know what, what, what their overall plan is, or is it just to be a massive conglomerate? But I wonder if they ever get investigated for anti-competitiveness, because they literally are buying up everything, aren't they? Well, they've got a lot of money in, and we're going to talk about big companies buying other companies later on and how that's viewed. But I, it, this isn't a new purchase for Oracle. And for those not in the know, Oracle are primarily known as a database vendor as much as anything else. Lots of large enterprises run on Oracle databases. Whether it's the best database in the world is neither here nor there. It's the, the fact is that it's done very well. Larry Ellison has done very well. He's got a number of very nice yachts. That's for sure. And has popped up in the odd Iron Man movie as well. But there's more to it than that. They actually own quite a lot of things. They bought a lot of IP. They continue to buy a lot of IP. For example, they bought the Solaris operating system, which was Sun's operating system from 2008, I think. And they run that as a sort of an underlying layer to run their databases on top of. They bought things like VirtualBox because they could see virtualization was going to be a big part of how you'd be able to deploy various instances of applications going forward or databases or whatever it was on. And it's a nice way to be cross-platform as well. So yeah, it's been a while they've had VirtualBox, but so I, I almost I almost don't register its Oracle anymore because it was such a long time ago. But yeah, yeah. I think I just forgotten and was surprised to see their name pop up. That was all. So 2010, Oracle purchased VirtualBox from Inatech Systems, which is a German company. Okay, there you go. I mean, I've talked touched on this before, but hypervisors and virtualization layers are pretty much free things these days. You know, they're, they're integral to the Windows, Linux, and Macintosh kernels. You do lots of things by running them. And in fact, we've talked on this show before about how you're able to run, I can't remember the name of the application, but it's a, it's a gaming emulator for the iPad. You, you were going to try and run it in the early days of the beats and it wasn't working properly, but you can run- Alt Store. Alt Store. So Alt Store actually will run a version of UTM, which is one of the hypervisors I was talking about before. So you can potentially run Windows 3.1 on your iPad if you want to. I think it runs extremely slowly and why would anyone ever want to do that? But you can. So if you install Alt Store, you can put UTM on there and then you can virtualize, you know, even on an iPad. So 
even devices, unsurprisingly, like an iPad and other things, have got virtualization layers built into them for free. So the market for selling hypervisors, virtualization things, is not what it was. And if you look at the big vendors in the market, Veeam and VMware and, and the others that are out there, as my, my brain, Windows, oh, what's the Windows one? Microsoft Hyper-V. Microsoft Hyper-V. You know, they all offer this. They charge you for it, these bigger ones, because of the support that comes along with it, and they charge you per operating system if you're Microsoft, et cetera, et cetera. But the free ones are really, really good these days. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. And I'd say if anybody wants to try it out, VirtualBox is probably a great place to start. It is. It is. And where I'd really recommend it is if you're installing software you're not sure about. So as a means of sandboxing what's going on, you know, if it's a piece of software or something you want to try out for a little bit, a virtualization layer is exactly where you should put it in the first place. You know, you don't want it touching your network. You don't want it touching your actual files or all the rest of it. There's lots of reasons to run virtualization things, not the least of which is you might not want it impacting and messing up your system. So it's, it's a good area for them. I think we've done that one to death. Moving on, Microsoft and Apple had a bit of a love in this week, I'd have said. Yeah, and again, this probably goes back to my memory, not remembering anything, but I thought this what you're about to talk about was already out, but maybe that's me misremembering and I'd forgotten on Windows, you still use iTunes. They've never really done great photo integration and they've never had music on the Xbox. I just assumed this was already there, but I guess this is a world that I don't really play in that often. Yeah, it's fair enough. So this is the story that Microsoft had their big event. They're talking about things that are coming soon for Windows and Xbox. They announced two big stories during these, well, big-ish stories. The first one being that Apple Music and Apple TV apps are coming to Windows PC next year as Windows 11 Photos app integrates with iCloud. So that's the first one. I think it's probably about time. They've been stuck with still called iTunes on Windows for a very long time, I think. Yeah, I was just going to say about the photos one. Obviously, I work in an enterprise and part of me was thinking, this could be quite good because we've got loads of people with Apple mobile phones and iPads and we take a lot of photos and for our desktop OS, we all use Windows. And so it would be great that they could sync their iCloud, you know, photos into their PC because often they want them on their PC to edit them, crop them, zoom in and, you know, attach to emails, pull in Word documents and so on. So part of me is thinking even for the enterprise, this could be quite neat in that what closing the loop of us having that mixed vendor devices, you know, mobiles are, are Apple and all laptops are Microsoft. So I, I think that's quite interesting. I'm, I'm keen to explore that for the enterprise. It's a good thing. I mean, I remember back in the day, if you'd plug an iPhone into a Windows PC, it would mount as a drive and you'd be able to drag the photographs off it anyway, like a, like a camera drive. So I guess it's good that they're actually bringing iPhoto, it's not called iPhoto anymore, Apple Photos to the, you know, to, to Windows PCs in the same way. Because let's face it, what made Apple a success really was when they allowed the iPod to come to Windows and the software package that came with it. Lots of Windows users have iPhones. So this kind of functionality for your phone is really the bare minimum of what they should be providing. Yeah, I completely agree. And also in enterprise, you don't allow people to plug USB drives in. So I think this is great. And the, the fact that iTunes is still going on the PC seems bizarre to me in that they've done a huge brand of Apple Music. I can't even believe they just didn't rename iTunes to Apple Music, but hopefully they're doing a brand new app and doing it properly. Yeah, I think Windows users have had to make use of a thing called Cider, which is a sort of an open source thing for streaming Apple Music. It's effectively a web front end to, to the Apple, uh, an app-based web front end kind of thing, a bit like an Electron app. Yeah, it's there. The other big announcement was you can now access Apple Music on Xbox consoles. I could say that's the kind of thing you almost expected was there anyway, but I don't think we'd actually explicitly talked about it there. Interesting that Apple and, and Microsoft are able to work on this kind of thing to this day, though, and actually keep some sort of parity between the platforms. 
I think it's a good idea. And I've got Apple Music on my PlayStation 5. I tried it out when it came out. I've used it a few times. It's quite nice if you want to put on some of your own tunes. It's not a deal breaker, but it's nicely done. And again, surprised it didn't come out to Xbox at the same time it came out on PlayStation. Yeah, I guess a lot of these things are stored up for an event when they can announce them, aren't they? So that's what that's what they'll have done there. Yep. No, it's good to see both big corps playing nicely. Yep. Agree. Moving on, I thought this was just an interesting one, and I think it's it's in the article as a very sketchy rumor rather than the piece of news, and I'd agree with it. So the rumor is based on somebody on Twitter who has a source somewhere. The Twitter person's name is Majin Boo, who has apparently got the odd thing right, but more things wrong. And in his tweet, he's claiming that Apple is going to turn iMessage into a, a slightly different looking platform, specifically for AR or VR headsets when they come out. So it's more of like a a push towards social stuff again within the messages platform or iMessage as they call it in this article which makes me think it's dodgy anyway frankly so the rumor says that apple is working on a major update to the messages app and it sounds terrible this is a 95 max commentary not mine the rumor is that apple's big ambitions for messages include a new home screen design chat rooms new augmented reality features and more so i don't know what you think about that um yeah not a big surprise to me so i use messages all the time it's the only sort of texting app i use i'm not surprised they need to do something to it because it hasn't really evolved that much over the years probably the one newest feature i use is where you can pin your nine favorite people at the top i think that's a good feature amazing how many people don't know about that and it's been out a couple of years i like the app i use it a lot but it does need something doing to it i'm really curious to see what this whole ar drop is going to be for apple because social is just not their forte and then i think we've got it coming up but meta they're equally trying to make a play for the space where social is their forte but obviously there's other concerns around them you know doing hardware and having devices and tracking and so on so i'm not surprised by it feels a bit sketchy again the whole ar piece with apple does feel quite sketchy at the moment and there's obviously something going on because there's a lot of smoke we just need to wait until we find out what the fire is yeah i'm with you on that and we've talked about messaging apps before and i think we're outliers in the fact that we do still use messages for things. Most people have moved on. They use WhatsApp or Signal or Telegram or, or, one, or Facebook Messenger or one of these other things. So they're kind of scrambling a little bit here for all Apple gets abuse for not being on the RCS platform of Google and sort of integrating with SMS apps. I think that ship has sailed in a lot of cases. You know, most people are on one of the other social media apps for, for whatever reason that may be. And this... It doesn't feel complete to me. You're right. We will talk about this a little bit more on Facebook with my limited understanding of their, sorry, meta with their AR and VR offering. It's not a compelling story for me yet, really, the AR VR thing, but I'm sure Apple will still try and sell it to us because you think it's, well, we'll talk about it when we get to Facebook, I guess, but this, it makes sense. You're going to have a slightly different version of the app if you're going to have a new interface looking at that. That bit makes sense to me, but I don't want chat rooms and messages. I'm not going to use that. And I don't understand who's going to use that. The youth are going to be on Snapchat. You know, they're not, or whatever the next thing is, they're not going to be on messages with their granddads and their dads. Yeah, I have very few groups, I guess, in, in messages, but I I stand out. I don't do WhatsApp. I let everybody else worry about that. But I, love, I try not to use meta products. I just don't, don't trust them. And I don't need more ways of people getting hold of me. Fair enough. Okay. Anyway, just an interesting story. It's worth having a click on the link in the things just to, for the representation of how it might look. And the answer is terrible. But uh, yeah, it's there. Next story. We talked about Lufthansa last week banning air tags in their baggage, and they've walked back on it. You are allowed to take air tags with your Lufthansa baggage. And in fact, I think somebody asked the Civil Aviation Authority, and they went, "Well, these batteries are perfectly legitimate to put in your battery, in your luggage, in your hold luggage." Unsurprisingly, because they're just watch batteries. So a bit odd that I think Lufthansa just came out of that with a bit of egg on their face. Yeah, feels like a storm in a teacup. I did buy an air tag after we spoke last week. I've got it. It's here in my rucksack. 
haven't really done much with it, but we are putting a suitcase in the hold. And I did say to my wife when we pack, let's just put in stuff there that if we lost it, the world wouldn't end. Let's just make sure we put anything A, expensive and B, for the children in our carry-on bags. I think myself and my children, we could probably live with just our carry-on bag, but I know my wife would need the whole suitcase. I think that's right for an air tag. It shouldn't, it should be, it shouldn't be something you're looking to use all the time. If you're losing your luggage or your, your devices all the time, you get more problems, I think. It's for the off time when something unexpected happens, and that's why you have them on key rings and things like that. You almost want to forget about them until you need them. So I think that's the correct use case for it. So yeah, I'll be interested to see how you get on with it. Yeah, I think when we come back from holiday, I would, I'm going to buy a key ring chain or whatever you call it to put it on my car keys because occasionally I do wonder where they are. So yeah, can, can, I say car keys, I mean house key because my car key is my phone or my watch. Fair enough. Well, we talked about it a lot last week, so I'm glad you're getting the experience. Good. Okay. Short one for Lufthansa. So uh, also in what I think will be a very short news story is Apple have fired, well, not renewed the contract of one of their contractors who was working within Apple Park and did a TikTok video showing herself in Apple Park just to, like a day in her life. Apple obviously, it went viral, presumably because she was inside Apple Park. I don't think she showed any secrets or anything that was particularly going on, but Apple have a very dim view of doing that kind of stuff. And this poor girl's not been renewed. Kind of ruins the myth of secrecy, but I, I guess if she was a contractor, she had little to lose. And I wonder if she, if the viral pieces helped all her followers, maybe she'd make money out of that way. Well, potentially. I mean, from the from the article, she said more than 150,000 views at the time the article was written about it. So, you know, as an influencer, that's what you want, isn't it? You want people to click on your link and, and whatever else happens with that. I don't understand the TikTok thing. I'm sure the Chinese government are enjoying very deeply being able to watch everybody's TikToks, but maybe that's just my paranoia creeping out. But at the same time, I think Apple need to kind of slacken the reins a little bit. If there's nothing secret to be seen here, what is the harm in them getting some valid social media attention for somebody going to the canteen or, or just working and not showing any code that's on their computer and all the rest of it? This is the way the world is moving, really, and they should probably be a bit more comfortable with that. And especially when they are having employee relations issues about getting them back in the office and so on and so forth. I can see both sides of this um, because I guess if they allow one person to do it, lots more people will start doing it. Not only, though, is this being career-limiting for this lady in this respect with Apple, but it could be career-limiting in other, in other respects with other companies, because they might go, well, if you're going to film yourself at work when you're at Apple, what's to stop you doing it for us? We don't want you doing that. So it could have a knock-on impact. Yeah, I understand. I mean, there is the potential sort of corporate side of, of leaking secrets by accident if you're filming yourself around the place. There's lots of environments, healthcare, for example, where you absolutely don't want your employees sort of taking selfies of themselves next to patients who are asleep on trolleys and things like that. You know, there's, there's lots of good reasons, despite, you know, and, and data on screens or trade secrets. If you worked at Disney and you're developing scripts, you definitely don't want people wandering around TikToking themselves all the time. So I understand it. At the same time, it's not always a good look, this kind of stuff, is it? The employee may well have signed an NDA, but again, you know, that on the edge of, it feels a bit punitive, the fact that this is just what she does. They presumably knew she did a bit of this with the employer. Most young people are on TikTok or Snapchat or one of these things and are doing it. So I could be I could be convinced on either side of the fence that this is a good thing or a bad thing. I think it is career limiting, especially in the day and age when employees would get vetted or, you know, their social media reviewed before you employ somebody. 
I think this could impact her. It depends what she goes on to do. Yeah, absolutely. In the meantime, she's got hopefully got a good boost and she'll continue to make a living. Anyway, good. Next story is about iOS leaking data when VPNs are enabled. Did you read the story? I hadn't read the story, but I'm aware of it because it's come up a couple of times now. Really surprising though, on a company, it prides itself on being secure and takes security really seriously. You turn on a VPN and yet it leaks data, which is not what VPNs are meant to do. It's meant to force all data down the VPN. So very bizarre, this one. I don't use a huge amount of VPNs on my iPhone. I don't know about you. I have from time to time when I've been in, in countries where I've been using corporate email and things like that. And I just want to be absolutely sure that it's going through the VPN. So I have used the VPN, both my Mac and my phones from, from time to time, just to ensure that. Just because, well, there's nothing, it's, it's research sensitive possibly without being sort of personally or anything identifiable with it it's just if you're working on research you don't necessarily want to share that so maybe that's my degree of paranoia or tinfoil hattery again if i was to do paranoia or tinfoil hattery apple does a lot of work in china apple has specific servers in china for its icloud services and others and i wonder if their reluctance to fix something like that relates to that in some way shape manner or form i certainly hope that is not the case i do have one set up on my iPhone because I'm going out of the country next week and like you I'm going to be abroad we only allow people to work from within the UK predominantly and I thought I just you can seek an exception for that which I've done but I thought I'd take it on my iPhone just to be on the safe side have a VPN so I can make sure I get my work email and all of those things but I'm keen to try it out but I don't know how I would know whether it's leaking data or not um, well, you wouldn't. It can send data outside the VPN tunnel when it's active, leaving it potentially unencrypted and exposed to ISPs. Yeah, so your ISP or your carrier, I guess, would know that you went to this site whilst you were on the VPN. It's not fantastic, is it? No, it's not fantastic because a even the, the pot, one of the, you know as we've discussed, the reason you turn on a VPN is so your personal, corporate, financial, whatever the dealings are that are inside of it are more protected, and as you say a company that pushes this privacy and security aspect as much as Apple, they should be all over this fixing it immediately. Yeah, and I wonder what the VPN providers, again, not a sponsor, but you get ones like ExpressVPN that pride themselves on, hey, look, if you want to ensure that your ISP can't see what you're doing, buy the VPN from us at, I don't know, $50, $100 a year, and everything will be safe and secure, and nobody will see what you're up to. That surely erodes their story. Yeah, gives lie to their we we you know the whole advert with the padlock on top of the apple you know being what it is if you see things like this you think well that's just marketing isn't it it's not an actual feature of your phones it's just something you're telling us that you do so i think it's really important that they fix something like this really really quickly but haven't agreed good okay I'm going to try and speak to Meta's event next is the intention. I'll hopefully do a reasonable amount of justice to it, but I'm not convinced I will because cards on the table, I don't like Meta at all. I don't use any of the products if I can possibly help it. And I think they're a deeply creepy and worrying company, but we've talked about deeply creepy worrying companies before now. And let's face it, our last section on Apple stuff, that's a bit creepy and worrying too. So, you know, fair's fair. Agreed. So last year at this time, Facebook rebranded themselves as Meta. This year, they're sort of really sort of pushing on the products and things that they're going to do. They had a couple of announcements that came out of this Meta event. The sort of the main ones being they announced their Quest Pro headset. So this is their VR headset. It's not an AR headset. 
Meta have really pushed on the AR, uh, the VR element of virtual reality and, and various things you can use for it. Started off as a fairly cheapish gaming device called the Oculus Quest. I think it was the first one that was out there. You could play a couple, a couple of, uh, of interesting games, but, but Meta have really pushed into it as it may be a corporate tool. So you can have meetings inside of VR, you may be able to run apps inside of VR, and they've released this headset called the Quest Pro, which is $1,500, which is not a small amount of money for, for this device. And within that, you can have virtual avatars. Mark Zuckerberg showed himself as a virtual avatar. So if you want to have your meeting and see the whole person, apparently legs are hard, so it's generally only the torso that you see. This is one of the products they released. It seems like a lot of money for a fancy screen to me, really. It does seem like a lot of money, and I'm not sure even if Meta are making any money off of it. One thing, just sorry, just back on the Meta piece, it was only a year ago they rebranded, you mentioned. What a great rebrand that was, though, to be fair to them. Like, it, Meta got there, they you know, they rebranded the parent group really well, I thought. Just thought I'd drop that in. But I'm, I'm with you on this. I'm not a big Meta, Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram person at all, and I try not to use their products. I did listen to this week's episode of Decoder. It wasn't Neil I interviewing, but another member of the wider Verge team that interviewed Mark Zuckerberg and as much as I'm not a fan I thought Mark Zuckerberg interviewed really well and I generally quite enjoyed the episode of the podcast even though it's not and I wasn't going to listen because it's not something in my wheelhouse that I really got any interest in but he did interview well it is interesting some of the things he's saying obviously you've got to take some of it with a pinch of salt but I thought he, he spoke really well about what's going on they did comment a little bit around Apple the gentleman doing the interview from The Verge seemed to suggest that Apple's product is imminent and and Mark Zuckerberg suggested, well, I've no, no idea what they're up to. You know, we just have to wait and see because until they release it. So it was interesting. It does feel like the space is getting bigger, quicker, and there's a lot of buzz around it. What I haven't quite got my head around yet is, do I want to do my meetings in VR? I do a lot of meetings all day, every day in my work life. I haven't quite yet worked out, is this going to be something I'm going to want to do? Is this is this the future of meetings or are we going to just carry on with Zoom or Teams and, you know, you've got your gallery of, of, of rogues faces up there. So I'm a bit mixed on what the future of this looks like. I personally have never done any VR or AR, and I do worry I'd get motion sick doing it. So I haven't actually tried it out yet. And it's probably something I need to get over the hurdle of. I think Meta's implementation of it is quite good. From the few people I know, I've known that have the gaming devices, it works quite well. And my only experience of VR is the Sony VR headset, PlayStation VR headset, which was... Well, put it this way, I used it for a couple of days around the Christmas when I got it, and it sat in a drawer pretty much ever since. So that probably tells you all you need to know about it. Do you think the Sony 2 one's going to... I can't remember what they've called it, but the VR2 is going to be any good? I think so, because the, quali the what really let it down was the quality of the screens. Now, I wear glasses. I don't have to wear glasses quite a lot of things. I can sit and tolerate it for a while. Glasses inside a VR headset is not great, despite everything they say, because you get all sorts of problems with them, like light bleed and all, all the rest of it. It's sort of less immersive if you're wearing something like that. So that's an issue. But the better ones can deal with that, I think. But just the quality of the screens, it was like looking at a 480p screen in blur vision because the only sort of focus distance you've got, you've got to mess with the, the headset to get the focal distance right for your eyes, which when you take it off, shifts and all that kind of stuff. So the sort of physical limitations of the device and this can be got round i presume by spending 1500 quid on a device you know to, to come and to come and do that but that's a start i'm with you i think let's face it vr in some ways is not a new technology we were talking about virtuality headsets and all the rest of it at least 15 20 25 years ago so it's not like it's brand 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 new that's going on here so the basic concepts still haven't been nailed down enough that, that people really know what they want with it saying this is what we want for meetings or this is what we want for gaming i'm not 100 percent sure people do because 
if it was that compelling over the existing things, we'd be doing this a lot more already. Meta bought, you know, uh, Oculus whenever they bought them, you know, getting on for, it must be about eight years ago now, I think, that Meta bought them, something like that. They haven't exactly exploded in the market, have they? No, they haven't exploded in the market. And some of that could be, though, because it's Meta and people have pulled off of, of Facebook, potentially. I think it is interesting and it's curious Meta have announced, again, a partnership with Microsoft on this one. And they're going to bring things like Teams to it. I do wonder, though, we we already have this stigma in the world of people are glued to their phones and not very sociable. You know, you, how often do you go out at dinner and the people on the table next to you are all sat looking at their phones and not talking to each other? You're going to live in a world where people are sat at home just with their VR goggles on, not talking to each other. And it's even worse that you're blocking everybody out. Yeah, I 100% agree. They're very anti-social devices. I mean, it's interesting looking at the deals with this. And I'll, I'll let me quickly flick through the deals. So there's the headset we've announced. They talk about revenue and they've made a little bit. They've made 1.5 billion on sales of games and apps. Eh, it's not really an awful lot for a company the size of Meta, is it? I mean, and just to talk about what you said a minute ago, I might have been quite interested in trying one of these Oculus things, but as soon as I find out you need a Facebook account to activate it, I'm out. I want no part of that. Why you should have to tie the device to your Meta account is beyond me. Yeah, I agree with that. And interesting, the number of apps you're saying they sold. So the podcast I was listening to, they said it took them eight years to get to a billion users on Facebook. And that was 10 years ago. So very interesting stats there on how long they've had so many users. Yeah, I mean, and I will finish this list, but I keep getting distracted. It's it, If you think about early ado- enthusiastic early adopters of tech, well, that's you and me, isn't it? You know, we, we'll jump in with both feet to things that come along. PlayStation 5s, Xboxes, all that kind of stuff. Apple Watch Ultras were there for it. With the exception of being given this PlayStation VR headset, which I didn't think very much of, I don't feel any great compelling need. They haven't sold it. And I, don't, I think Apple are going to struggle with this equally. What's it for? <laughs> you know, that that's not an end-to-end story yet. Yeah, I do wonder, though, I have a bit like the Apple Watch. Are Apple going to come up with a, a good version one, but not quite be there? And then a couple of years of iteration. Because Apple are good at getting a version one out, may miss the mark, and then iterating and iterating, and then dominating. Yeah, I did read a story this week, which I, again, you may need to remind me to put in next week's show notes about the US military bought an awful lot of Microsoft HoloLenses for, I don't know, presumably some sort of battlefield or briefing or, or something like that. And they apparently get them thrown away and broken because, you know, they just don't get on with them. They don't see the point in them. And apparently this is a very, very deep rat hole. The US military are quite into Microsoft products. They use PowerPoint for all their briefings, any sort of battle plans, any sort of awareness. You get your daily PowerPoint. So they're quite embedded in that sort of ecosystem. And you would have thought HoloLens at that point would be a fairly natural uh, split in for them. But even in that case, you know, where it's all being bought for them, you couldn't get much more corporate than the military, I'm sure, then, yeah, it's not working for them. Anyway, let me finish this. There's a push on exercise apps within VR. That'd be great, wouldn't it? If you wander in and smack into a wall while you're wearing these 1,500 quid goggles, that's going to go really well. They have a partnership with NBC Universal, so Peacock app is coming to Quest, and you'll be able to watch things like that there. You'll be able to share videos from your worlds on Reels. What's Reels? Is that one of their social networks? I don't know. Okay. They're probably the worst people for this. Probably. So whatever Reels is, maybe it's built into Instagram. It's a way of sharing videos. And there's going to be people's legs in the videos, not just torsos. Well, I guess they've got to start somewhere, though, haven't they? And so I guess they start with torsos and they work their way down the body. Legs are clearly hard. I thought hands were hard. When I was tra- Whenever I try and draw anyone as a kid, I could never do their hands. I think drawing's hard, so I'm probably the wrong person. 
Fair enough. Okay, I think we've done we've done we've been fair to Meta. We've given them an overview of the products. We've been slightly snarky about it. I'm sure that I'm sure there is a killer application for it that may may come to light. I don't see it yet though. No, I agree with you, but I think we need companies like Meta, Apple, placed at Sony, and Microsoft to a degree to just keep iterating on it until they hit on it. But maybe it is just going to be a pleasure activity. Who knows? That's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, Xbox and PlayStation have have done very well. You know, Nintendo have made a whole business out of just being a gaming company. So it's not a terrible way to go, but they're not, you know, again, you don't see them in the mainstream. You know, you don't see them on on TV a lot. You don't see them in films a lot. Things about virtuality are going back to the lawnmower man, largely. You know, it's, they're not making that sort of impact on the market. So maybe it will come. Yep. Shall we move on? Let's move on. Media. So I'm still watching She-Hulk. It was the last episode this week of this particular season. Really interesting ending. I talked about the revenge porn thing last week. I think they're pushing this in a very different way to your average Marvel TV show. And they certainly ended this in a way unlike any Marvel TV show or film that I've seen before. It was the fourth wall break to to break all fourth wall breaks. I think even Deadpool would have been blown away by what a good job they did on this. Very uncharacteristic ending, and I was just quite impressed. They stayed fairly true to what they set out to do from the outset. Cool. Sounds like a good review. Yeah, good show. I'd recommend anybody watches it, even if you haven't got on all that well with some of the early Marvel TV shows particularly. This one's a good one. Fair enough. I also went to Channel 4, took advantage of that uh, application that you told me about, the Fiverr a month to get your fr- your uh, ad-free Channel 4 content. I went back to the Simon Pegg show, The Undeclared War, which is a hacker story, which you talked about must be about six or seven weeks ago now, and I've tried the first episode of that. Did you watch it? So I did actually watch the whole thing all the way through. Amazing, I know, with no adverts. Side note on that, if you pay a year in advance, you get a couple of months free with all four plus. But no, The Undeclared War, I quite enjoyed it. But it had a very strange end, if I'm honest. You were just saying about She-Hulk being an amazing ending. I thought the Undeclared War was a bit strange. And actually, a colleague at work mentioned it and go, have you watched it? Because it just seemed to just stop. And it did. So whether they're going to do a second one, I don't know. But it was, it, I didn't find it a satisfying end, which annoys me. I've only watched one episode. I'll try not to give any spoilers for anybody who's still to watch it. I don't like the metaphor of hacking. I don't like the fact that it starts with this girl in a tool belt picking up a manhole cover, you know, to go sort of fossicking around somewhere. I understand you can't just show people typing away on keyboards the whole thing, so it's an interesting approach. I don't think it works, i got to say. I think that's, that's why hacking films don't always work. Like, there was Black Hat by Michael Mann, and I think a firewall one with Harrison Ford. Just generally, they... They're hard to convey, I think, on the screen sometimes. They are, but I don't think that's the right metaphor to use. And the second thing is, for it felt very full of filler to me and, and a bit unjustified. Like the things with, her, with the primary character's family kind of come out of nowhere and aren't paid off particularly well. And it just it feels a bit muddled, I got to say. Yeah, to be fair, it probably isn't the best show, up to, especially with all the quality that we get these days. I was interested, though, because I live not far from GCHQ, which is a big big prop that's in it so i just found it a little interesting to see that so i quite, i enjoyed it 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 definitely didn't set the world on fire i would oh. if i was you i'd try one more and if it's not for you it's not for you that's exactly what i was going to do i was going to watch one more is it actually gchq they're showing it i think they might show bits of it yes from the outside i, I doubt the inside well this is it I, i'm surprised there's not more key card access through doors and things like that for gchq they just seem to trundle around the building without any sort of great security which surprises me for something like that 
Yeah, I mean, GCHQ is odd. It's a massive donut. It's a bit like Apple. It's a big donut. It's very obvious from the sky. It's not as big as Apple's. And actually, when you drive past it, it's very disappointing. It's just, you know, near some houses, a big car park outside. It could be anywhere, to be honest. It's one of those great British institutions of putting something somewhere in the country just to sort of throw a bit of economics. So here in Swansea, we have the DVLA, for example, another four lesser acronym of a large governmental agency that does stuff behind closed doors. Yep. Right. Should we move on? Moving on. I haven't seen this. I don't know much more about it other than the trailer. There's a new Apple TV Plus show called Shintaram. It stars Charlie Hunnam, who you may know from Pacific Rim and Sons of Anarchy. He's very good. I guess I might try one episode of this. It's not really for me, I don't think. I've seen some adverts for it, know nothing about it. But I've, I've, I've got nowhere near half the things you've watched, so I've got a long way to go, I think. I might leave this one to you, maybe. Thank you. Fair enough. Okay, next one is just a story about things in the media more than anything else. And this is Netflix has announced their ads free, so their with ads tier is incoming. I think it's $6.99 in the States for their lowest level of quality, so sort of 720p rather than anything high def of 4K. You pay all that and you get ads. And that doesn't seem like a very good deal to me. I think this is interesting in as much as will Apple offer an ad supported tier? I wouldn't be surprised. This has got to be you get your product out there, you, you charge people for it, and then you've got to attract more or retain. And this is a way of retaining and attracting more people, make it cheaper, especially in the current climate. So I wouldn't be surprised if Apple do it and others. Yeah. I don't particularly like this model, I would say. You know, basic seems very basic to me, so it'll be for one person. It's it's six ninety nine a month. That's only three dollars cheaper than paying for the for the next tier up, which gets you no ads for having to do this. Like I say, you only get seven twenty p video. The new plan will offer most of the most of the same TV shows, videos, and movies for a personalized viewing experience. But subscribers will see between four and five minutes of ads per hour. Ads will vary from fifteen to thirty seconds in length, and will play before, during shows and films. That sounds terrible. It does sound terrible. I think if you were getting ads and you weren't paying anything, then I can understand it. But the fact you're going to get worse quality as well. I'd be mixed on lowering the quality if I was Netflix because you kind of want to be famed for having really good quality as in picture quality, not just quality of, of the production. So it's weird if you if you force these people to have a worse viewing experience because it, you know, it could impact the reviews you get and, and the take-up. I think they sh- it feels like they've handicapped it too much. Yeah, paying to watch ads doesn't sound like a great thing to me. No, I think the ad ad supported stuff should be largely free to, for entry. Yeah, would be my view. Yeah, maybe I'm, if you're paying and you get 4K and ads, maybe that's one way of doing it. I don't know. It doesn't seem like they've got the the pitch of this quite right to me. So anyway, it will launch on Thursday, November the third. It will be available in Australia, Brazil, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Korea, Mexico, Spain, the UK, and the US. So we're getting here too. Can't wait. I'm not going to watch it. Nope. Makes no difference to me. And we've talked before, there's an increasing dearth of things I'm interested in in Netflix anyway, actually. So I think they've got a more fundamental problem than this. Yeah, agreed. I get Netflix free with Sky. I barely use it. I've largely forgotten I've got it, if I'm honest. I keep meaning to go and check some stuff out. But because it doesn't pop up in Apple TV, it's largely off my radar. I've got to go there to, to look for it. You're an outlier on that, I think. My kids would be very upset if I cancelled the Netflix subscription, but it is what it is. Anyway, speaking of things that work in your Apple TV, have you got a Taskmaster update for us? I have, actually. Interesting you mentioned Apple TV. So Taskmaster, you've ruined my week. All I've done is watch Taskmaster. 
and when I haven't been working or enjoying family time. But I'm loving it. I've just finished series four. So I really enjoyed it. It's fantastic. And I recommend anybody out there that hasn't seen Taskmaster, stop what you're doing. Go on all four. You can watch it for free with adverts. Go for it. It's fantastic. Finish the podcast first because that's what we, oh, yeah. we, we advise Chris to do. Don't stop listening to us, but when it's safe to do so, go and listen. Go and watch Taskmaster. It's fantastic. Yeah, but just as a side note, so if you watch it on the Apple TV, and I do have all four plus with no adverts, and it doesn't show any adverts in between. But if you watch on your iPad, they show you some adverts in between, not for commercial products, but just for other shows on all four. But there must be so few people using it on an Apple TV that they haven't bothered to bring that functionality to Apple TV which I see as a positive because it means I don't actually get any adverts, even if it's all four pushing their own wares. But annoyingly, if you watch on the iPad and you have it in a small window, you know, in the, the all picture-in-picture view, every time it goes to an advert, it stops working. And then you have to go back in the app and restart it again. So they haven't quite got their implementation quite right. It's just something I, I picked up on. So that's an odd thing, actually, because I've watched a lot of Taskmaster on a lot of devices, and you sometimes get a little bit of in self-advertising for Channel 4 yep. things, and you sometimes don't. So I've watched it on Apple TVs, and I've had the, you know, here's the other things available on Channel 4 from time to time via Apple TV, and then I'll get a run where I get no advertising at all, and it just flips in and out the advert breaks. So I think it's just whatever content management system they're doing occasionally decides to serve you some sort of ad or not. I don't think it's device-dependent. Oh, okay. To me, it felt device-dependent, but now I'm questioning it. The other thing I've noticed as well is all four, and I don't know if this is all four Apple, doesn't seem to sync where i got to very well so i've watched on a couple of apple tvs and an ipad and it doesn't seem to remember exactly where i was which i thought this was a solved problem no it's not a solved problem it breaks in all sorts of places and devices and i think moving between modes and devices doesn't work so well the two apple tvs in the house that i tend to watch on it syncs okay i occasionally lose about 10 minutes here and there i don't tend to watch it on an ipad or a mac i gotta say so for me that's worked okay but i can see it being in a being more of an issue it's just annoying because you start watching and go, oh, I thought I'd seen this this task that they're doing or what have you, but there you go. Good. Okay. Anything else on Taskmaster or should we move on to games? Love it. Brilliant. Yep, that's a fair comment. So I've got a couple of small stories in games this week and then you've got one too, I see. So Battlefield 2042, I'm going to talk about. I can't remember. Did I talk about it on the podcast before? I don't think I did. So I'm a hardcore battlefield fan i've played battlefield since it was 1942 back in the day and came to pc and then through battlefield 2 and battlefield 3 so we're getting on to i guess it must be 25 years at least of battlefield possibly a little bit longer so it's been out it's an interesting concept of a game is not just being a soldier on the battlefield but you can jump in a tank or a plane or a helicopter or a boat or all manner of things over the years it's occasionally gone to the near future and with battlefield 2142 which was similar, but you had spacey things and big mech warriors instead of tanks and things. But fundamentally, it's always been a sort of team-based game where you pick what sort of type of, of soldier you are. You're an engineer or a sniper or whatever you are, and you go on. They've been going downhill a little bit in the last few years. So it, be- it became a franchise in the same way that Call of Duty became a franchise. So whereas you'd have COD 2 and 3 and Modern Warfare, and we talked about the Wii last week, uh, and you're playing it back in the day, Battlefield was sort of the competitor to it, but always had a different focus. COD has always been a bit more twitchy. You know, you, you, you point your gun at someone, they die, whereas the time to kill was lower in Battlefield. It was more playing the objective. It was the vehicle-based combat and all the rest of it. But they were obviously feeling the impact of competing against COD on a year-by-year, every-two-year basis. And Modern Warfare and Warzone changed that altogether, where Battlefield didn't really have an answer for the Battle Royale thing or, or, or any of the sort of the innovations that Call of Duty were doing. So 
They'd been struggling a bit, and they'd gone from quite well-regarded Battlefield 1, which was set in the First World War, to the Second World War, World War with Battlefield 5. The numbering makes no sense at all. They decided they were going to come back to current day-ish and release Battlefield 24, and the release was a disaster. Very few people bought it. It was extremely buggy. It was extremely laggy. If you were playing on the PC, you got a very different experience to those on console, but it still paired you with people on PC who could cheat. There wasn't enough anti-cheat and all the rest of it. I spent, I, th I feel like, 75 quid buying the version for PC, which is a lot of money, particularly for a PC game. And I hated it. Now, as a long-term Battlefield fan, it was quite painful, actually, that you know they'd, they'd made such a mess up, particularly when Battlefield Five had been patched to such a point that it was actually really quite a good game. Anyway, all of that is to say that they've done a couple of really big patches to it recently, and it's actually a good game now. And I played quite a lot of it last weekend, and it's finally where a Battlefield game should be. I just think it's interesting how software changes these days from what's released to what you actually end up with. And what will happen, and what has happened over the last few versions is, that gets it to a point where it's playable, and then Electronic Arts, in this case, will then lose interest in it and move on to the next thing. So the kudos, not the kudos, but the, the sort of hard-fought battle to get players back onto one of their most important products. They've gone through, they've gone through, they're almost at a point of where it's a playable thing, and you're just waiting for the announcement when they go, right, okay, we've given up on this, we're moving on to the next thing. I think that's a real shame. Sounds like EA, though. Yeah, very much. And you're right, Battlefield, I remember, always used to be amazing, was the one to get, and then even I'm aware that it went downhill, so... Yeah, it's a real shame. And what's happened is they've been looking over at Call of Duty going, oh, I want a bit of that. I can see that, you know, there's money there. The horse armor we've talked about so many times with the skins and the players and the operators. And, you know, you want your John McClane skin from Die Hard to, to be running around on the battlefield for you rather than, you know, the sort of traditionally. So they tried to do a little bit of that and it just didn't work in any way because it's a different type of game fundamentally. And, you know, we've talked about this a few times on this podcast about letting things be true to themselves. You're trying to force it to be something that it's not. And, and it suffered as a consequence, but it, it's getting better. I just, I'm waiting for the rug to be pulled out from under me now i'm enjoying playing it again fair enough fair enough so that was a long a long rant about about that but yeah that's what i've been playing the last week is battlefield 2042 cool and what's going on with microsoft then and activision this is just a really interesting story and it does show the other side of this that obviously what microsoft are trying to do and we've talked about it on this show a few times is they want their games pass thing to start generating revenue for them they want to make properties ultimately they're exclusive for their console the xbox to the you know the, fa the fact is that call of duty is one of the biggest sellers in the same way we've talked about fifa and other things microsoft bought activision blizzard so that call of duty would be exclusive to their platform and this deal has been done everywhere except in the uk and in the uk the competitions authority have gone hang about isn't that giving you an awful lot of power in the games market it's interesting the uk have actually stood up to this i've got to say and this story is about Microsoft just sort of really going in on the fact that, oh, actually, we're a very small player in the market. We're the third console maker. Nintendo and Sony are both in front of us. So it doesn't really matter that we're doing this. But Microsoft aren't playing now. Microsoft are playing for five years' time or six years' time when Call of Duty is exclusive. And let's face it, it's that big a game that people will not buy PlayStations and will not get subscriptions to PlayStation. They'll get Xboxes next time to play Call of Duty with their friends. And Buying a studio, not just the game, enables them to do that. They can go, oh yeah, we'll support you for three years or four years. And once they've got it and it's a done deal, they can go, oh, it's too hard, we're just doing it for two years. Or even if they stick to the three years, it's not about the PS5 or the Xbox One X or One S. It's what comes next, isn't it? So it's really interesting that actually somebody in the UK 
UK's Competitions and Mergers Authority has, has spotted this. And they're using this as sort of a proxy war. And it's just all got a bit nasty, really, with Microsoft. You know, they're not pulling punches anymore. They're just getting on with it. It, just, it sort of really throws into light the long-term thinking of a lot of these companies. Microsoft's got deep pockets. Yeah, massively. I'm not surprised it's been picked up. I guess Microsoft are the third console maker. What I wonder, though, is how many people play the game on a PC. So I know a lot of my team at work play this game, and they, they play against each other, and they all play on their gaming computer. So I, I'd love to know what the mix is of who, who buys the latest version of Call of Duty and what device are they on, you know? Sure, but if they're playing it on their PC, what are they playing on? Oh, it's all Windows. Yeah, because it won't work on Linux. You know, it's it's no. one of those. So that... Microsoft have got them anyway. Yeah. So it's all very well saying you're the third biggest, you know, you're the third person in consoles. But if the other chunk of your market is playing on a gaming PC and then you are the third in the market, you're not the third in the market at that point, are you? Nobody's no, playing surely, this on Switch. Surely Xbox and PCs cumulatively is bigger than second place. Absolutely. If not first, if not first place. Absolutely. And it, it just, it's a bit sneaky and underhand and nasty. And I, I question than being able to absorb studios like this. Because let's face it, Microsoft have got probably deeper pockets than Sony at this stage, and they can play a longer-term game with it. See previous comment on EA. Yeah, totally. Anyway, a bit of dirty dealing. I think it's a story worth keeping an eye on. I'd love it if the UK could throw such a spanner in the works that this deal didn't come to pass. Yeah, that could be interesting. I mean, we had that recently with ARM, didn't we, in NVIDIA? Very true. Very true. It's interesting we've got such an impact on the market for a little country sometimes. We, we, we occasionally do have an impact, so yeah. Yeah, true. Okay, next story from me, and then we've got one from you. This is a little story about Valve. So Valve make the Steam Deck that I've talked a little bit about. Were you, did you go off and look into being able to buy one more imminently? I did, and it was two to four weeks, I think. So it is a lot more imminently than what it was, but I haven't because I've got too much to play, and I've, I've got enough stuff, I think, at the moment. Fair enough. Anyway, the Steam Deck is basically a Linux PC underneath it all, and Valve have been touting the wares of what it can do for emulation and all the rest of it. And unfortunately, in one of their videos, they showed the Yuzu emulator. The Yuzu emulator is the Nintendo Switch emulator. The legality of emulators can be a little bit on and off, but showing one that can play your nearest competitor in form factor is an interesting move. So very bizarre that Valve would show off anything with the Nintendo being emulated because Nintendo are very hot on emulation. They run a fairly tight ship, I seem to find. So surprised that that's, that's come out in a video and is not, not good for Nintendo, I'd say. Isn't it amazing, though, that a device of this form factor can emulate another relatively modern console so well, so quickly? Yes and no. I'm not that surprised because the Nintendo Switch is famed for not being that powerful. So I'm not surprised that the Steam Deck can emulate it to a good degree, but amazed that they're they've shown it publicly yeah i don't think it was intentional i've taken the video down since anyway steam deck's great i don't use it quite as much as i would because like you i'm quite busy doing other things a lot of the time but uh, it's still one of my favorite toys i think it's fair to call it a toy that i've bought in recent years it's not a device for work is it well you could plug a keyboard and mouse into it i have plugged it into my very widescreen monitor here and you can run arch linux desktop underneath it all if you were really really pushed and everything else in the house was broken I could do some email and stuff with it, i got to say. Fair enough. I wouldn't choose to, but I could. Uh, last story's your Gran Turismo I 7. Just, yeah, just briefly, I fired up Gran Turismo 7 because I saw my kids playing it with some friends. I thought, oh, I haven't played that for ages, so I fired it up, had to go on it. Just love that game. And it's great they keep adding more content. It cost a lot when I bought it, 
but they keep adding you know a couple more races a couple more menus you can get cars on and i've just enjoyed having a couple of races i don't play all the time but it's just nice to dip in and have a go so just nice to see a game being looked after post-release which is what you were saying with battlefield i think gt7 was great from the get-go but they've kept adding to it which i think is fantastic that's fair enough i have not touched it in a long time the few times I've fired up my PlayStation recently have been to A, just get the software updates. I have done it to get whatever the game of the month is, that, or the couple of games of the month that is that are on Game Pass. It's not Game Pass, I forget what it's called. PlayStation Plus. That I haven't upgraded to any sort of the other tiers that are available now. It's a bit of a shame, really. It's a really good device that I should do more with. Although I have, I must admit, had the odd game of Slay the Spire when I turn it on, because it's there and I can't help myself when I see Slay the Spire. Bit like me with threes. Exactly like you with threes. Anyway, moving on. Let's do the shortest main show we've possibly ever done because we've been very long on the news and things. So I wanted to talk a little bit, and you might not have had any experience of this, is when you connect your Mac laptop to non-Mac monitors, to non-Apple monitors, and it may, be, it may be the same on them, I don't know. Why can't I control some of the things? So have you any experience of doing this? My Mac Mini is plugged into my Audi Ultrafine, and... It does work with the brightness keys. I don't think it's got any speakers and that's all I can do with it. So very, very limited. But other than that, I don't use my Mac for anything else. Fair enough. So I'll just talk talk about this a little bit. So I have two different monitors I primarily plug this laptop into. One is a Dell thing. I don't know what it is. It's some sort of 27-inch Dell that I've got in the office. I have given the, the serial number of it in the past when I was talking about ProMotion in this laptop. And I plug it into my Philips 34-inch one widescreen here. When I plug it in via USB-C, I lose all ability to control the brightness. There are a couple of third-party apps I can download to control it, but I have nice brightness keys on my laptop. Windows laptops can do this if you plug them in via HDMI. Obviously, if the third-party app can do it, it can be done. Why can't I control the brightness with my Mac? It boggles my mind. It's a bit rubbish, isn't it? Is it because the brightness keys are doing the built-in display? It's clever enough to know what screen the pointer's on, though. Is the thing you know the, the Mac is aware of what where the screens are and where your where your cursor is. And if you, again, if you listen to John Syracuse when he's talking about switch glass, Macs are quite good at knowing what is the foremost screen in the queue. So. It should know which one it is. And even if it then said it popped up another thing going, which screen do you want to increase the brightness on, please? That would be good enough. Or give me a slider on that particular screen. It's a huge whinge of mine that this isn't just native to the software. If you're going to give us the ability to connect to other devices and screens and things like that, and you know other hardware can control them, your Mac Mini controls the hardware perfectly well, why can't my Mac laptop? I think the iPad's got the same problem. So I plug the studio display into my iPad and I use my obviously iPad screen and I've got a magic keyboard on it. I think when I adjust the brightness on the magic keyboard, it just does the iPad screen. And so I think I'm in exactly the same boat as you. It's a bit rubbish is what I'm saying. Agreed. And I think the fact the, the third party apps things really shows it for the nonsense that it is. So just download some piece of open source software and you can control the brightness on your on your display without having to go into the keys, you know, over by the power button, work your way through the horrendous menus that every monitor has. I bet your studio display hasn't, actually. Most monitors have, where you can control the brightness and the contrast and all that kind of stuff. That's a software feature, particularly with USB-C and the communication. It's charging the laptop over. I'm able to do all sorts of things with it. Why doesn't it work? I'd agree with that. So my Apple screen, my LG Ultrafine have no software menus, no buttons. I've got an LG something or other at work and that does have a um, like one button underneath and you can flick it up, down, left and right. 
and it's horrible to use the menus it should all be in an app it would be a much more pleasing experience because the on-screen displays never look that nice they always look horrible and so it would be it'd make a lot more sense to be in software yeah and similarly the volume doesn't work so this screen has speakers which are dreadful so i immediately bypass them and i've got a, a, a three and a half inch audio out that goes to an amplifier that goes to a much nicer set of speakers i can't control the volume on it either in fact it just comes up with a volume thing with a line through it when i try and do that and again i can buy sound source from rogue amoeba or someone like that to control the volume but why doesn't that just work it's just it, it's terrible that is odd because normally when you're using a three and a half mil stereo jack that will just take over and so that you'd expect the volume keys to work yeah and if you plug an hdmi or USB-C thing into it the audio and video are being passed over those cables so why doesn't that work again you've got two sets of speakers maybe but i can choose in the interface what the dominant so you know what my output device is i can tell it that it's now the monitor so it's it's playing the sounds via that but i can't control the volume of it what is going on yeah very bizarre it's, it's just a whinge. I mean, it's not a whole thing to make a show out of. I just think it's a poor it's a poor software design decision by Apple. You know it can work because there's third-party apps can make it work. But this is system-level stuff. Brightness and volume are system-level things. It should be accessible by the hardware modifier keys or at least give me a software menu to do it because I know that works. And they don't even do that. Yeah, very strange. I wonder, they must have some stats on how many people use third-party equipment like this but i guess also maybe they make it harder because they want you to go and buy the studio display maybe but particularly with the pandemic i think lots of people were plugging the devices into external displays or speakers and they wanted their audio to work well because they're doing zoom calls or team calls or even facetime calls god forbid you know so there's lots of reasons for them to do this a lot better than they do and i you know windows does this better linux does this better what is going on for the for the operating system that's known for video and audio quality? It's just not good enough. And also, given we've had a long period where they haven't made the screen, we thought they might have solved this problem. Exactly, exactly. You know, one very expensive screen. I don't even know if it has speakers. The XDR does it. The studio display the XDR. The, the XDR. I know the studio display does. I don't know if the XDR does. I think it does. Yes. Okay, so presumably... It doesn't have a camera, but I think it has speakers. Yeah, but if you plug your very expensive Mac Pro into an XDR, you can control the volume and the brightness. So why can't I do that with my laptop? Yeah, fair point. <laughs> anyway, that's my rant for, for this particular show. Next story is one to ask your opinion on. So I had a conversation with somebody in work who listens to our podcast. Shout out to you if you're listening. You know who you are. And he took a feather at your... He was, he's been inspired by you, Chris. He went away on, on a conference and things like that. And he took just his iPad with him. And he said it was mostly very good. He managed to do almost all of the things he said. And one thing he said that was very interesting, and I think you've alluded to this before, is there's less stigma with having an iPad open in the meeting than there is in a laptop i.e. the chances are you're actually paying attention to the meeting and not dealing with your emails. So I thought that was interesting. I don't know if you want to comment on that. No, I'd agree with that. I was actually at Microsoft the other week in London and it was very interesting to see Microsoft employees with an iPad out and an Apple Pencil taking notes. A couple of my guys had their Windows laptops with them. I had my, well, I actually just had my old school art, artisanal way of taking notes with a pen and piece of paper. So I agree on the stigma side. If you pop your iPad out, it does seem socially more acceptable. I would suggest if this person has done their first trip away, iPad only, that's quite a bold step. Because I remember when I'd go away with the family a few years ago, pre-pandemic, and I'd go, oh, I've got to take my PC with me, but I don't know if I need it, but I'll take it as an insurance policy in case I've got to do any work. Whereas actually going iPad only, 
I don't have a PC anymore. I don't use a Mac. So I just, I've got nothing else to take. And it is quite liberating just going down to one device. And like now I'm talking to you right now on my iPad, I'm away from home and it's working just fine. And I know I can do everything on it because whilst I'm podcasting in a different environment, I'm just using the same equipment that I'd use when I'm at home. Fair enough. You're very embedded in the iPad ecosystem. His other comment was that he felt the battery wasn't really just quite good enough to get him through a, a whole day just with the iPad. So I don't know if that's been your experience. Maybe he had an older device. I don't know. Yeah, so I've got the iPad Pro 12.9-inch screen with the M1. So I bought this in last year, in 2021. I think it was early 21 it came out. I use it a lot. I've used it a huge amount. I don't know what, what how good or bad my battery is. And it's cellular because that, that could be an important factor. It is very much cellular. And we will talk about that in a minute. I find that it probably wouldn't last all day but I get a surprising amount of battery life out of it. You can obviously turn the brightness down. You can put in battery power saving mode, which didn't used to be on the iPad. Whilst we've been podcasting today, my battery's dropped 34%. I have recording on it. I am, you know, just using the screen. The brightness is about 50%. And obviously we're using the webcam and you're obviously coming back to me on the webcam. So I'm using all the cellular radios. Normally at home, I have it on ethernet and I do plug it in. Because as you plug it into your Thunderbolt screen, it charges it. Generally, quite quite slowly, I find that the, the Thunderbolt display charges it. And I usually only charge it when I'm out and about on a 20-watt power plug that I use on my iPhone as well. So I've got two 20-watt power adapters in my bag, and I use them either to charge my watch, my phone, or my laptop, or my Kindle, for example. I just take the right cables for them. So I've, I find it works pretty well, but it, I don't think it would last all day on its own. I know the Mac has really moved on with the battery. And sometimes it makes me just want Apple to make the iPad like in a laptop shape. Why can't I have one of those? I'd like to see the iPad go into the laptop form. And also, why can't I just have an Apple TV looking iPad that I just plug into a screen? You know, just little blocks. I plug into my screen and I've got an iPad. You need a good touchscreen on the other side of it. Don't need a touchscreen. Well, I think that's there's a there's a being true to itself kind of thing in the device there. But I, w- I don't want to go that. That's interesting, though. I mean, so my take on that is it's good enough for... 70% of your day, effectively, you might need to give it a top up at some point, depending on what it is you're doing. So if your meeting was, I'm going to go on the train at London, I'm going to do a couple of meetings, I'm going to take some notes, I might watch something, I might create a presentation, yada, 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 and get home, you'd be fine. Whereas if you're absolutely smashing anything and everything, and you were working hard on the, on the way there, you did a couple of video conferences, etc. By the time you came to go home, you'd really want to give it a top up. Probably even before then. Probably even before I then. Think, I think you'd be getting anxiety earlier. Normally when I go on the train, I just keep it topped up whilst I'm on the train because I know I'm sat next to a, a charger. And I'll be doing this actually when I come back from holiday. And then in the meeting, I generally don't need to ch- charge it up. And then I'll charge up again on the way home. Because to be fair to the trains in England, we do get quite good power connectivity these days. Which it's, you know, you get a lot more three-pin plugs. Than you when, when the trains are running and nobody's on strike. There is that. There is that. No, I mean, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? And it's amazing how our expectations have shifted. So if I was going to, if I was hopping on a train now to London, I wouldn't even take my charger, I don't think, with this laptop. I'd just pick it up and I'd go. I'd go there and back. I wouldn't think twice about it. I would get a day's full work out of it for whatever I needed to do. Fair enough, it doesn't have a cellular radio in it, but we're going to talk about that again another day. But even hotspotted to my phone, I, I wouldn't think twice. I'd just pick it up and go, and it would do me the day without problem, and all the way back, and I'd use it intensively. The battery's that good. It is quite a large laptop, this one. You know, it is a 16-inch laptop, but actually the old 13-inch one would have done just as good. But 
still to this day when you rock up in meetings and it's pro primarily people on Windows laptops, the first thing they're doing is they're looking for a PowerPoint to plug them in. So you've already moved on from where most people are when they get to, a, to that kind of meeting. Yeah, massively. And look, I do find at work, I'm generally the only one that turns up with just an iPad. Some, a lot of people turn up with both a Windows laptop and an iPad and they're not ready to make that leap over. But I was on the train with a colleague, I can't remember when it was, a couple of weeks ago. I got my iPad out, got straight on with work because it's got a solar SIM card in it. And my friend on their laptop was trying to hotspot their phone or get on the train Wi-Fi. It wasn't working. And I was like, just get an iPad. Like, It's so much quicker if you're traveling a lot you literally just turn it on and you're you're back to where you were. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's quite compelling. I think I'd miss too many things, but that's fine. It's interesting, isn't it? It's... Your mileage may vary. Obviously, it depends on your role. I have a role which is largely based around Microsoft Office products, and therefore I think I'm a You know, it, it works for me. Am I a power user of Excel? No. Do I miss Smart Art in Microsoft Office? Yes. I don't get why they haven't ported that over. That's probably the one thing I really miss. Do I miss having native video? Yes. But I can use it in my web browser for, the, for what I do. It works for my role, but it wouldn't work for everybody. Yeah. I, I mean, this is it. You've got to assess what you do. And if you can deal with the odd compromise, or you can pack a battery pack to take with you if your iPad is likely to be on its last legs by that point in the day and you have got no access to power, there's probably a way to make it work. Or maybe you just need to buy yourself another iPad and get the state of the art. That could be the answer to it. There is that. What I do like though is I do not. I do not miss switching between different operating systems. I don't miss doing something on Windows, then going to my iPad and forgetting the key combination or pushing the wrong keys or forgetting the copy and paste whatever menus and, and things. I do like just using one OS because it helps my muscle memory a lot more, and I, I just find that a lot nicer. So, and you don't have to worry about different file formats and all of that. Everything just kind of works because you only use the one device. So for me, it really does work. Yeah, and for me, that's a Mac, but I think that's okay. All right, that's interesting. That's fine. That's fine, absolutely. Horses for courses. If you were a real sort of glutton for punishment, you could probably do it all on a phone and, with, and some eye strain, but yeah, good. Okay. Well, on that, I do find myself doing a lot more on my phone than I ever used to, just because everything's there. It's either in OneDrive, and I, you know, and I, and because I do so much on the iPad, I, in a pinch, I do a bit more on my phone than what, what I would have done historically. Yeah, fair enough. I think that'll do us for a little bit of a summary about about that. Do you want to tell us how you've been podcasting today? Yeah, so I don't know what you think about this, but I'm sat in my car at the moment. Apologies for any background noise, any change in how muffled or, or echoey I sound. I hadn't really thought about the echoiness. I thought it'd be fine. I do have leather seats in here, but I've, I've hung my coats on a few things and my jumper to try and soften the noise a little bit. But we have recorded all of today's show, A, on battery power on my iPad, and B, over 5G. We have carried on with the cameras being on. Seems fine. And I do have all five bars of 5G. Interesting, my phone's got 5G on a different network provider. So I'm on E on my mobile and it's got 4G. But my iPad's on O2 and has full, full 5G signal. We've now used... I don't know, nearly 40% of my battery whilst we've been talking. I've got the microphone propped up. It's plugged into USB-C, which is exactly what I do back in the office. And then I've got my headphones on as normal. I, I think for me, the connectivity has been a non-event. It's been solid 5G. I'm not moving. What is annoying is all the cars and the tuna horns that may come through on the recording. But I think it's worked really well from here. But I'm, I now need to listen to the episode back, which I do once it's edited. But it's actually been okay. And I'm sat in my comfy chair. I've got the iPad propped up on the passenger seat and it hasn't been quite as scary as I thought. And, you know, if I'm traveling again in the, in the countries, maybe an option down the road. 
to be fair, given some of the connectivity issues we've had from your house over the last few weeks, this has actually been better in many ways. The, the video quality hasn't been an issue. We haven't had any glitches. There's been a bit of background noise. That's normally my problem because the dog barks in the background. So yeah, from my point of view, this has all worked quite well. You do sound, I think I said at the top of the show, slightly different to me. Well, I'll be interested to see. Please feedback on us and how you think this has gone. But as an advert for what is possible with an iPad and with a good network connection, this has been quite impressive. Yeah, so I did check on the on the carrier's map beforehand what the signal would be like. I knew where I was going to park my car, so I thought that'd be fine. I think, like I say, connectivity has been least of the issues, where, whereas actually it was probably the thing I was most apprehensive about. I probably hadn't thought enough about where I've parked for all the cars going by and tooting of horns and what have you. I brought just brought my mic. I've just unscrewed it from the stand in my office. And I, I think it's worked okay, and we are in a bit of a pinch. But it's been an experience, I will say that. But this is a good thing, because it means... Wherever we are in the world, we may be able to continue to bring you a show, dear listeners. You know, we're that committed to you. So that's not a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing. And it kind of shows, actually, there are quite a few benefits to the iPad because I'm using exactly what I've used at home. All I've had to do is just bring my microphone with me. Yeah, I think it would be exactly the same for me, to be fair. I'd have plugged, this is a USB-C microphone, I'd have plugged it directly into my Mac and I'd have gone from there with my headphones on. So that would have been the same on the laptop, uh, I, I would say. But no, it's worked very well for, for the purposes of this. Well done. Yeah, otherwise we just wouldn't have got this in. We yeah. couldn't have done it yesterday, we wouldn't have done it today, and I'm away tomorrow. And it won't be this long when uh, you listen to it, but uh, one hour, 29 and 17 minutes of recording at this point, and your battery's gone down that much, so that might be a little marker for you for the future. Yeah, it's interesting to know. Um, I did use my iPad a bit last night just to do a few things, and I forgot to put it on charge, so I didn't even start with a full battery, and I got 50% left brilliant good okay i've got one last thing and that is i often like to give a shout out for a little app that i found i don't know if you get any for the ipad this week chris but this is it for the for the mac so this is a free app it's in the mac app store it's called pure paste and all it does is if you have rich text copied in your clipboard when you go to paste it it removes all the formatting and if you tick a couple of boxes in the options as well it will remove trackers and things like that as part of the url too so it's a very simple app you can do some of this if you know the right keyboard incantation. So it's shift, command, control, V, I think when you paste, will get rid of the, the, the various formatted text. So if you go, you know what it's like, you copy something on a web page, put it in a word, and it keeps all that formatting and you don't want it. You just want it to be plain text. Pure paste, it lives up, in the, the, up near your clock. If, if you're using a hidden bar or, or bartender, make sure it's not hidden. Not that you need to particularly see the icon to know that it's running. And it's just worked really well for me. I don't want formatted text almost ever. So this is perfect little application for what I wanted to. And it's free. I'd agree with you on this. I don't usually want formatted text ever either and big fan of this it sounds great i wish we could get these sorts of apps on the ipad and i'd like to think that's where apple will have to go next to evolve the platform is having the these sort of apps where you can do a bit more with the system but whether that day will come remains to be seen but it looks really good i was just having a quick look at it yeah, it's a neat little app. It does exactly what it says in the tin, and that's that's what I want. Uh, these simple things, I don't necessarily always need to see the icon, and thankfully I can hide them as well, are, I find really useful. The sort of system-level utilities where if you are a bit more of a power user, for want of a better word, I think you know they do surface a level of functionality that you're going to want. Most people don't care, I wouldn't have thought. But having said that, it is annoying when you pay something and it does it. And it, I guess normal people hit this too. So a really useful app that should be built into the system, again, frankly. Yeah, agreed. And 
is one bit where the iPad does suffer. I think is you can't have utility apps like this, but it looks good. It looks really good, and, and it, I would give it the thumbs up. Does the keyboard keyboard shortcut work? Because you've got a keyboard. I want to do the stripping of rich. The, the incantation of paste as plain text, shift command, option V. Don't do it now. Do it, you can feedback that. That can be your homework for next week. Yeah. Do you know what I often do? I often take rich text, just paste it into the Safari URL field and then select all, cut it out, and then paste it in, because that strips all the formatting too. So Because you're, you're pasting into a text field that isn't a rich text field. It has the same effect, but it's an extra step. It is an extra step. Good. I think we can call that a show, Chris. Yeah, it's fantastic. Let's hope it comes out right in post-production. We shall see. Thanks for your efforts, and have a good holiday. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Or you can hit us up on Twitter uh, at WFS underscore podcast. Talk to you next week. Cheers, Rob. Bye.